can just be driving to an overlook and watching the sunset or, you know, it doesn't have to be like hardcore hiking or anything crazy. It's just like being able to sit and observe and just, uh, just respect like, wow, there's so much happening here that you never, you never are aware of if you don't just spend time and be quiet and like, listen and look around. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up, and welcome to episode 192 of Life in Motion. I've got Aaron with me from Bear Yuba Land Trust. They help protect the natural lands in the Bear Yuba River watershed while empowering a community around outdoor access and education. I'm excited to hear her story and why their mission is so important. Aaron, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm excited um, to learn more about what you're doing. As I mentioned, kind of why why it's so um, important. But before we kind of jump into um, everything that the organization does, let's kind of start with sort of your background story. You know, where are you from? Where you grew up? Kind of hobbies you had. Sort of what led you down this path in the first place? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I guess my my childhood and my background was kind of all revolved around nature. Um, I grew up in Iowa, though, so I grew up in a in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which you know it's not a it's not just a farming town. There's a university there, and the Cedar River goes through uh, the town there, so it's uh, you know there there's some nature around there. Me and my friends were able to to find spots to, to hang out outside. And it seems like that's kind of all there was to do back there. So <laughs> we did a lot of that, um, through high school. Um, and then I was also, um, my parents, you know, were really into the outdoors. So I learned about like exploration and just finding places where there weren't other people, um, and kind of what the, the beauty of that was at a young age as well. Some of the some of the coolest adventures that I went on with my family. One was to the Boundary Waters when I think I was about 10 years old. And my dad took myself and my brother and some of my cousins up there. Um, So we did like a 10-day canoeing adventure in the Boundary Waters. And I'm not sure you probably know where that is, on the border of Minnesota and Canada up there. Um, And that was just crazy because we really didn't see any other people for 10 days. you just had to navigate off of maps. And there were a couple times just based on the water levels that we were completely lost because it would show that there was supposed to be land somewhere, but the, you know, the water levels were way up. So we didn't know where we were because we were in the middle of a lake. Um, so that was exciting. And just having experiences like that um, made me, I think, just love adventure and love kind of the risks that come with being in nature, how how wild it is. Um, we'd go to the Tetons as well and do backpacking there. And then I think what really um, kind of shaped the course of the rest of my life was we, we started going to Colorado a lot. We started skiing. I eventually changed to snowboarding, but we'd go to Colorado a couple times a year and just spend time out there. Um, And I just, I fell in love with everything um, about the mountains. So right when I graduated high school, I I moved to Colorado, um, just kind of expecting to just snowboard and hang out forever. (laughs) I didn't really have plans of 
going to college or, you know, getting serious. Um, so did that for about four years. Um, me and my partner, actually, my, my boyfriend from Iowa, we moved out there together um, and just explored a lot, moved around a lot, did a lot of snowboarding. Um, eventually, in 2003, um, I'd lived there about four years, and then I um, had my daughter, my first daughter. So that also, you know, is another kind of life-changing experience where you reevaluate and um, figure out what you what you need to do. So I realized then that I did need to go to college, um, you know, that just teaching ski lessons wasn't going to cut it. So um, started looking for the next step, and um, we ended up moving to California at that point. Um, a lot of people told us that was the worst decision we could have made. Even we're like right when we moved to California, people were like, oh, no, you should get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a, a pretty, uh, drastic change. We, we lived kind of in the Sacramento area in the suburbs and I'd never seen that kind of development and that kind of like cookie cutter homes and just everyone obsessed with the, what kind of car they drove and how much time sp people spent in their cars, just commuting to work. And, um, it just seemed like a waste of life, um, so anyway, I, you know, I went to college, um, started college at Sac State, and um, I was going for biology for a while, realized that that was just going to take me uh, too long. Some of the classes, I just needed a job. I needed to get out in the real world and start making money. So I changed to environmental science, um, focused a lot on GIS as well, which is like uh, software for map making online. And... Um, and was able to graduate and get a job um, during the recession. It was 2009, 2010 when I graduated. So the job market was pretty tough, but um, ended up getting a job at the Nature Conservancy down in the Sacramento Valley, which was really cool, um, just doing vegetation monitoring. So I was kind of thrown into um, another situation where it was just like they had 40,000 acres spread across all these different lands um, kind of just go out and try to find these rebars that had been uh, pounded into the ground to do all these study plots. We'd have to go out with metal detectors in the middle of these forests and try to locate rebar and do these vegetation plots and worked in vernal pools. That was really my first experience with private land conservation. So a lot of these places were conservation easements where the landowners still owned the land but the development rights were protected by the Nature Conservancy, so it could never be subdivided and developed into, you know, all those cookie cutter neighborhoods that I, that I'd seen when I moved here. Um, so that was really powerful. Just realizing that that existed, that that kind of private land conservation and these tools existed to protect nature in a way that, uh, you know, humans weren't able to come in and and even have public access to in a lot of places. It was really just set aside for nature, which I thought was awesome. Um, and I think one of the things that really also another like life-changing thing was I started reading um, Edward Abbey. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, I feel like I, that name sounds familiar, but... Yeah. So that was kind of in college. I think I went into the library and I typed like environmental activism and his name popped up and he wrote this really awesome book called The Monkey Wrench Gang. And it was about environmental an anarchism with like the Glen Canyon Dam 
um, when they were trying to build that and it was a fictional story, but they would go in and they would like, uh, vandalize the heavy equipment that was doing all the, the, um, construction to construct this dam. And so anyway, I, I kinda, that, that inspired me in a way like, Hey, we can like fight back to protect what we want, but I didn't want to do anything illegal. Um, and that's why I think like once conservation easements and once I learned about this, it's like, Oh, this is a legal way to work together to kind of fight back against the greed and the destruction that man is known to, you know, kind of perpetuate on, on nature. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, it's super interesting kind of because there's almost seems like, you know, in, in the beginning, I guess, or, or however you want to frame it, but you know, there's kind of the different stages of kind of your outdoor experiences. Um, you know, obviously, you know, playing with your friends uh in the woods and then the camping and hiking and backpacking stuff with with your family as you got older and then you kind of switch to the uh you know the snowboarding and skiing aspect which is a different a whole nother different activity within the outdoors and then kind of going back around to the conservation environmentalism kind of a aspect of it you know kind of in in the college years did that all kind of see did that sort of like all feed um feed upon one one another as far as like those different experiences um like for example like for the the um you know protecting the environment and and protecting land and that kind of stuff do you think that was mainly fueled because of your you know kind of your your childhood memories that you had within the outdoors recognizing its beauty and the opportunities and exploring and all that stuff yeah i think so definitely you know it's like it's just like this feeling that i get when i'm in these places that it, it makes me happy. And it also, it's like this awe, you know, feeling of like awe and wonder, like this needs to exist. This needs to continue. Like we've got to, we've got to do whatever we can to save what we can. And then also, you know, then the connecting people with it. I think I kind of started out being pretty, uh, pretty traditional in conservation. Like, okay, just like lock it up, leave it. Nobody can go there. Um, and then when I started working here at Bear Yuba Land Trust, they had a pretty um, robust trails program already going because the local community doesn't have a, a park and rec department with the county. So the land trust was kind of acting as that. So at first I was like, oh, why are we doing trails? You know, we should just focus on land conservation. But then I've seen over the years, like how, how, that is what's connecting people to nature. That is what's creating these future conservationists. You've got to give them places to have those same kind of feelings and experiences. So, so yeah, it's, uh, I I feel like the job I'm doing now is like the perfect thing for me. And I don't know, I didn't learn about it in college. Like they don't really teach about land trusts or private land conservation. It just, I fell into it and I was like, yeah, I want to keep doing this. Yeah. No, that's that that's awesome how it kind of all all worked out. And then, you know, as you mentioned, you know, having creating that access for people to get out and and experience the outdoors in that way, kind of, um, you know, hopefully and ideally and most likely, uh, you know, strength strengthens their kind of, um, you know, their the protection aspect of them, them wanting to play their own part in helping protect the land and the natural resources um, and and things like that. So. Uh, obviously you, uh, obviously at Bear Yuba now, uh, land trust, how, how did you, or I guess what was the journey, I guess, from, 
or how did you get there in the first place? Um, and then I guess we can kind of talk a little bit as well as sort of like the history and whatnot behind it. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I said, you know, right out of college, the recession. So I was just kind of taking what I could, could find in my field. I actually first started with the Department of Fish and Game here in California. We were just on the rivers, like interviewing anglers, which was pretty exciting. But um, once the Nature Conservancy job was offered to me, I really was more focused on botany. Um, so I, I took that position, knowing it was temporary. It was only a year-long position. But um, And then during that position, um, I found my next step was through the AmeriCorps program, actually. So here they have this... Uh, this nonprofit up in Tahoe, the Sierra Nevada Alliance, does this AmeriCorps program where they place people in environmental organizations for a year. So you, you're kind of like a staff member, but you're paid through AmeriCorps. So it's really a good like foot in the door. So I, I got a position as a stewardship assistant at Placer Land Trust. So they're just our neighbor to the south in Placer County. Uh, so I worked there for a year. And then during that position, um, another position up here at Bear Yuba opened up for a similar uh, stewardship assistant or stewardship manager, and they recommended me. And I think it was the easiest interview ever. I um, <laughs> board president and the executive director, and they they hired me. Um, so I started that in that was 2011. So I've been I've been with this organization now 12 years, almost 13 years. Um, so I started off here doing all the land management, um, the conservation easement monitoring. So it was really just getting intimately familiar with the lands that we had already protected. Um, I did that for about seven years and then the executive director, uh, resigned or step, you know, stepped down. She was ready to retire. So myself and the development director at the time gave a proposal to the board to be co-executive directors. So we did that um, for about three years, which was really great. It was a really nice way to kind of transition the organization, I think. Um, and then she, my, my partner, Erica, she moved back to Kansas to be with her family during COVID. So then the board just uh, put me as, as sole executive director. That was in 2021. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great, great journey. And it feels really good um, kind of where the organization is now and um, the, the things we're taking on. It's, it's been a lot of fun and it's a really been a time of growth for us. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And it kind of uh, sounds like you you definitely earned your stripes within the organization to kind of keep, keep climbing up the ladder in that sense. Right. What, uh, which is, uh, I guess, one question that just came up or I thought of was, what was kind of that transition like for yourself from going, you know, from from kind of a more focused role, um, I would imagine, to, you know, being, you know, the co-executive director and then eventually the executive director kind of overseeing everything. Did, did, you, did you, I guess, what, what was that, that kind of like um, kind of in your experience? Um, it was pretty, it was pretty scary um, for me. I had never been in that kind of a role. I'd never, you know, I didn't come from a business administration world or nonprofit management or anything. So, you know, luckily Erica had that skill. So I think that's what made us a really strong team. Um, you know, our strengths played really well together. I had the intimate knowledge of like what we were doing on the ground. Um, and then she had that business sense. So, um, 
I think my the scariest part for me was the board management. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into or like how to be how to be managed by like 12 people, you know, um, how that was going to work and how I was going to navigate that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all come together really well. So it was nice that I kind of had those three years to transition and to learn and um, you know, budgets and, and all of the things that, that you've got to learn to be able to manage this kind of stuff. So yeah, I feel like it was a kind of a, a rapid learning curve, but it's been a lot of fun. And I, I kind of already had a vision and I kind of could see like what was, what I felt was most important for the organization. So right away we wrote our strategic plan. It had been outdated for like eight years. Um, so we, we wrote a new strategic plan and that really, I think set our focus and kind of guided us through, um, the next five years. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's that's cool that you're kind of able to navigate that and get that under, um, under you. I can I could see how that could be a little bit of a of a change. Um, you know, thinking if I was sort of in your position, but um, you know, it's 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 cool to kind of hear that. And and it's not like you know, it was a new organization because it would it start in the 1990. Um, so it's yeah. been around for for a while. So. I guess what I guess let's talk a little bit about sort of the history of it and then kind of let's lead into sort of kind of the that kind of that five year plan that that you mentioned and kind of some of the different things uh, specifically that you all are doing. Yeah. OK. Um, so, yeah, 1990, it was formed. I think officially 91 is when they got their nonprofit status. But um, just a group of concerned citizens, you know, how a lot of these nonprofits start out very grassroots. Um We've got the Sacramento, Sacramento area is about 45 minutes from here. So people kind of saw uh, what was happening down there and then were afraid that it was going to happen up here too. So started really focusing on the large agricultural lands um, that we have kind of in our Western County and trying to protect those with conservation easements. And then, you know, as they formed and as word got out that the organization existed, just more projects started kind of falling in their laps. Um, the trails right away, there was a trail easement given to us in, in the city. Um, we were able to then, it's, it's a, like a critical connection that connects these neighborhoods into these businesses and the high school and the college. Um, and then given our first land that we own in fee title, this little pond down in another community. So, you know, the, the beginning of the organization was um, a lot of donated lands. Pretty much everything was donated in the beginning. There wasn't this funding available like there is now to land trusts. Um, so we got a lot of large um, like ranches um, protected with conservation easements. So that means, you know, the landowner can still live on the land, can still manage the land, run their cattle, you know, even have homes. There can be building envelopes. Um, but there's a value to what they're donating to those development rights that they're donating. So an appraisal kind of determines that, what, what is that value? And then when they're donating it, they're able to take, uh, take, uh, write that off of their income taxes. So it really benefits people that have high income taxes that they would like to, to you know, have charitable contributions to do a write-off. So a lot of the first projects were that, you know, so uh, a lot of wealthy landowners that, that are able to do that. Um, and then over time, it just became more apparent, like, hey, there, there's a lot of these large historic ranches out here where the 
the landowners are kind of like land rich and cash poor. They're not looking for income tax breaks. They want the land to stay as it is forever. They want to be able to pass it on um, as agricultural land, but they can't donate those those easements. So uh, the organization and a lot of other land trusts in, in the Sierra Nevada region, as well as California, started advocating for funding from the state um, and, and the federal government. But having um, funding available to actually purchase the value of those easements. So I think, you know, over time, um, that's become a lot more successful and we've been able to purchase these easements. So really being able to be strategic. Um, one of the areas that we focus in is our Blue Oak Woodlands Belt. So the Blue Oak Woodlands, they're like the most biodiverse with wildlife um, habitat in all of California. There's like 330 species that depend wow. on these blue oak woodland belts. Um, so we're, we're trying to protect this migration corridor from the Bear River up to the Yuba River and have been really successful in doing that. Um, and then, you know, the trails is a whole nother thing. That's something that um, finding sustainable funding to build and maintain trails is difficult, but the community has really kind of rallied around us and, and we're able to do that work um, because of their support. And now the county's kind of coming around and the cities too, seeing the economic value of that. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's, that's, that's interesting too. Like, you know, how, how everything kind of started, you know, uh, what, 32 or so years ago, uh, I was born in 91. So, um, but, uh, you know, that people saw the opportunity to protect and obviously, you know, there's a benefit as well, but, you know, a greater benefit to, to the outdoors in that sense to protect that and, and kind of how, how that's, that's sort of grown out. So, <laughs> excuse me. So, uh, so, so it's kind of interesting to hear kind of that story. And then now how, how big of an area is, is sort of the, the watershed and, and area that, that you all, uh, you know, either, with the trails or, you know, help protect the, the land in that sense? Uh, so our service area is a thousand square miles. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've got um, Nevada County, which is, um, which is where Grass Valley, Nevada City are, and then up to like the Donner Summit. So that's like the peak of the, the mountains before it drops into Tahoe. Um, and then we go uh, west as well into Yuba County, the, the neighboring county. And then we're surrounded by other land trusts. So we're all respectful of each other's kind of regions. And there's some crossover area where we work together on projects and collaborate a lot. But yeah, there's, there's land trusts everywhere. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then, you know, when it, when it comes to, you know, the areas that you're working and stuff, how, how do you kind of pick, you know, what, what area to focus on? And then also I would assume it's primarily volunteer based. So how, how do you, how do you get others to come out there and, and, and help kind of with, with your efforts? Um, well, I mean, if we're talking about like land acquisition, that's, um, that's kind of guided by our strategic plan. So within that thousand square miles, we've created these, uh, we call them strategic focus areas. So um, this was one of the things that I was really excited about being able to kind of put onto paper um, because our area is so diverse, like in the west side, it's those blue oak woodland belts. And then you get up to our eastern region and it's like the high Sierra Nevada mountains. So those are super different habitat types. 
different strategies for conservation, different funding, um, all of that. So we put these strategic focus areas together to help guide our focus. Um, and then it's like you're, you're working with willing landowners. You can't make anybody do these yeah. work. So how you do your outreach and then having other people in the community who are well-respected be able to talk to their neighbors and things like that. Um, so as far as land conservation, that's kind of how, how that works, guided by the focus areas and then really depending on kind of our outreach to those communities. And then uh, the trails is another one. It's, it, you know, you're again working with willing landowners when, when it's our land that we own, it's different. You know, we can, we can do whatever we want on our land and we, we build a lot of trails on our lands and create nature preserves. Um, and then the trail easements were again, targeting areas where we think the connections should be made, connecting these trail systems together and making, you know, better, um, uh, transportation routes, you know, that aren't, aren't motorized. So it's again those relationships with landowners. So a lot of it is just about our like our our public perception, keeping the organization um, in like a respected light in the community. So we're nonpartisan, um, we're not activists, um, and we have a very diverse community as well. So it's just keeping those relationships to to make those connections. But then we've also got a whole nother side of what we do, which is our stewardship and our restoration. Um, and that's where we get a lot of volunteers. Um, so we've got all sorts of volunteer days that we plan to do, whether it's like native replantings or trail building or trail stewardship. Um, you know, we just get the word out through our newsletters and we do a lot of boothing at like local events and things like that to to reach new people. We've got a lot of a lot of new people come to this community, like from the Bay Area. That's pretty typical. People will sell homes down there, come up here to retire or just, you know, have a change. So lots of new people in the community we try to reach. Um, we do these bi-monthly, I guess they are every other month uh, in the field. We have a program that where we get people out onto our lands and our trails um, with guided hikes and things like that. Um and then the month of June, actually, we have this Celebration of Trails month. So we just started, we, we've been doing Celebration of Trails for about 10 years. Last year, we started doing it as a month-long event. So we have this really fun event called the Summer Star Hike Challenge, um, where people register for the event, and then they get a map of the stars. And we hide like 15 stars out on all different trails throughout the community. Oh working with a local art organization who creates these cool stars. And then they go out and find the stars and get entered into raffle prizes and things like that. Um, so that was really fun um, just to see how many people came out. Like kids were super excited to go find these stars. And then we end the month with a big street party in Nevada city with a band and just a free event for the community. Um, and then also just trying to incorporate art more into nature um, last year, we started this art and nature program where we commissioned a couple local artists to do like big, large scale art installations um, for the month of June, which was really, really cool. Just another another kind of segment of the community and another way for people to interact with nature and get them excited about getting outdoors. Yeah. So yeah. With the with the art installations, where, where are those like located specifically like to 
Um, well, so last year we did two. So we kind of started started small, but we commissioned two artists and then they submitted their ideas and, and it was along certain trails, you know, that, that we approved or whatever for these kind of things to happen. But one of them, this artist is amazing, Andreas Amador. He does like that beach art, you know, where you've, you've probably seen where they, um, in the sand, you know, create these amazing uh, art pieces that eventually yeah. get washed away. But he does that all around the world. And he is also um, involved with the local Nisanon tribe, the local Native American tribe. So okay. there's this, along one trail, there's this big flat rock. It's probably like 100 feet. Um a hundred feet by 50 feet or something. And he wanted to do a using clay, just digging clay from the earth and then created this Nissanon basket pattern on the rocks. Um, so that was just amazing. There's a, I can send you a link to the the video of it, but um, so that was his project. And then, you know, it naturally washes away. So all of these were temporary for the month of June. And then this other artist did, she got big pieces of fabric and um, kind of like prayer flags, but like huge, like two by three or something each one was. And then she hand dyed each of them with plants that she found along this trail, plants or flowers, um, and then hung it across the trail for that month. Um, so those were the two last year. Um, just, yeah, just here locally in Nevada City. Yeah, no, that that's that's pretty cool because uh, um, here in, in Springfield, we have... Uh, we call it like the sculpture walk and it's um, kind, of, kind of the same thing, except there are places all over, uh, you know, the city rather than, you know, out on the trail. So I, I love that idea of of kind of doing that in, an, in a natural way within the trail to kind of encourage people to get out and kind of um, experience that, but also see some some cool art along the way as well. Um, so, no, I thought that I think that's a really great idea. So hopefully that that continues on and and helps yeah. in that way. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it again this year. We have that's, to call out right now for artists. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so kind of with, I mean, I know we covered a, a lot of the different things that you're doing and, and um, I, I don't know if most of that kind of fell into sort of your, your five-year plan, but was there anything that we missed or, or um, anything that you're kind of looking forward to um, in the future kind of as, as you kind of continue to fulfill your mission and also, you know, building up that the community around the outdoors that's, that's um, giving and understanding when it comes to these different things. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we just, we're wanting to expand the conservation footprint for sure. Um, continue to connect trails. There's one, uh, big trail project called the Pines to Mines Trail that's going to connect Truckee, um, which is up at Lake Tahoe, down here to Nevada City. So it's like an 82-mile trail. Wow. Crosses the Pacific Crest Trail as well. But um, so that one's in the works. And, you know, there's a lot of trail easements and things like that we need to get accomplished. But once that's done, it's going to be a pretty epic uh, trail system. And then I think, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's um, been something we've been really focused on as well for the past few years. Um, We started really with a focus on our local Native American tribe. Um, They aren't federally recognized. They got their federal recognition taken away um, very unjustly. It's a terrible story, but um, we really saw like we're a land-based organization. We need to figure this part out, you know, like how, how is our relationship with the Nisanon? How can we help with their goals as well? So there's been 
um, some really cool projects that we've been partnering on with them, um, with Land Back and just with getting their language out, you know, on our signs and naming our preserves and their language and things like that. And then also, although last, you know, a couple of years ago, people were saying our community was the whitest community in all of California. Um, but now it's it's been shifting and there is like a 10% Hispanic population here and some really awesome um, events and like cultural things happening there. So we're really trying also to to get more tied in with that community and just kind of figure out like what what do they want in nature? Like what what helps them? Like what are what are their traditions and, and ways that we could um, support uh, their needs as well? So those are those are kind of the big things. You know, I think youth and nature is another big one. We just bought a piece of land um, that was threatened with development. It had a tentative map on it for like, I don't know, could have been 40 homes, um, but was also this really unique lava cap um, wildflower meadow oh. with some species that um, are, are unique and rare. So, so we were able to buy that and it's right by schools too. So multiple schools can walk to this preserve. So we're now developing this connecting with nature program and uh, working with the schools and youth just to figure out like, what do you want here? Cause we want to improve the trails, make more ADA access out there and then create like outdoor classrooms for, for kids to come out and use. So that's been exciting too. So I think those are, you know, the, the DEI stuff and the youth stuff are really our, our local focuses and then just continuing to connect lands and trails and yeah. then steward the whole stewardship part too is a big, a big deal where I think I mentioned before, like I was a traditional conservationist, like leave it alone. Nature will do what it needs. But I think especially in wildfire prone areas, we've seen that's not how nature actually works. Um, so the forests out here are just so unnatural, so unhealthy in a lot of ways. Um, with fire being suppressed for a hundred years, they're so dense and and really need management. So our lands that are close to homes and neighborhoods, we have been working more on um, thinning those forests. We just did a biomass project and we're preparing these lands for like prescribed fires as well, uh, just to to keep them in a more natural state and keep the neighborhoods hopefully safer. Um, and then like restoring wetlands and things like that on our agricultural lands, trying to bring back more biodiversity. So there's, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's all great. I mean, there's, there's so many kind of different layers and different aspects to it that, that obviously all, you know, point to, towards your, your mission, you know, from in, including and in, in figuring out how to work, work with the, 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 you know, the different communities. Um, and then obviously the education piece, uh, which is already sort of there, but it sounds like a, a better opportunity kind of came up with this, with this land. Um, I would love if I had the chance to study among the wildflowers when I was in school. So that'd be cool. Um, you know, that out, outdoor kind of programming class that you guys are working on. So definitely, um, definitely a lot of, a lot of things, uh, that you, that you all are, are doing kind of many different layers. So, um, all, all good stuff there. So I, I kind of, you know, one thing I always like to ask is, you know, one piece of advice of advice that our listeners can take away. Um, 
I'm going to do this one a little bit, a little bit different. Cause I think, you know, your, your background, as I mentioned, kind of, you know, had the three sort of stages within the outdoors and kind of how you experienced it to, to where you are now. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, having, having, uh, your, your daughter, uh, before kind of getting into, uh, the kind of that last phase within your outdoor journey in that sense. But, for, for someone who, who has a kid and obviously you guys are trying to help and promote the educational aspect of it, but like how, obviously to create this, um, you know, pr- help protect our land, whether it's, uh, where you represent or, or anywhere else, um, obviously we kind of need that next generation to kind of step up and appreciate it and un- understand these different things. Um, what would your advice be to, to someone, you know, whether it be a teacher or a parent, grandparent, whatever, to kind of help instill kind of that that love for the outdoors, um, not just the activities that you do in them themselves, but the actual protection of it um, and the understanding of the the natural habitats and and kind of everything that goes along with it. Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I I find it it's even it's difficult. I have three kids now, um, and it's. I think it's just doing it, you know, it's like, I just made it a priority to like, take my kids out and just have them be in nature. And there's, uh, there's just something about not having like a programmed, uh, goal, you know, just, just being there. Um, so I think whether it's, uh, we, I always take my kids on rain walks. Like that's one thing that they found unique, I think. Um, like I would want them to go out in these different environments and experience it in different ways. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel like that's a good answer, but I think that it's, it's just being intentional about making sure that they see different, different places and have that opportunity to kind of feel that awe and wonder as well. It can just be driving to an overlook and watching the sunset or, you know, it doesn't have to be like hardcore hiking or anything crazy. It's just like being able to sit and observe and just, uh, just respect like, wow, there's so much happening here that you never, you never are aware of if you don't just spend time and be quiet and like, listen and look around. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I think I think that's great. And, and uh, you know, I, I have three three kids myself with the oldest being five. So, you know, that's that's kind of, you know, my my thought without, a, you know, the conservation and environment background and, and the sense that you have it, um, you know, just experiencing those different things. I have not tried the rain walk yet, but it sounds <laughs> like a good idea for uh, when it gets a, or stays warmer. But um but no, I think that's great, great advice. Cause then, you know, they, they, be, they grow with that natural kind of appreciation for it. Um, and not to mention, uh, the imagination aspect of it, uh, depending on how, how old they are, but, um, yeah, yeah so even just watching a bug, you know, like that's, we do this nature fest event now every year in, in April. And that was the intention of it was like, we give them scavenger hunts when they come to our, you know, they get, come to the booth at the trailhead. We give them scavenger hunts and like a magnifying glass. And it's really just like, go out. It's like self-guided, just go out and explore and just take your time, you know, see all those little things. And then you're like, oh, wow. Like it's so alive. There's so much here. And I think that kind of kids remember that. And then they know kind of what's, what's there. You see a tree getting cut down and you're like, wait a second 
you know, there's whatever ants and there's beetles and all this stuff that depends on it. So maybe it kind of builds. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I think, I think that makes, makes complete sense. Um, and you know, going to, you know, my oldest, I always see him looking up and looking for birds and stuff and trees and, and that kind of stuff. And it's just creates a different way to think about nature without them intentionally thinking about nature, if that makes sense at, yeah. at a young age, but it kind of is instilled in them, um, from there. So no, I think, I think that's, that's great, great advice. And, and then, uh, to that point, where, where can people find you online? Um, if they're in the area, um, get involved, uh, kind of see what's going on. Uh, yeah. So our website, it's BYLT.org. Um, there you'll find all of our events. We've even got, we've got a trails portal as well. So you can go in there and it, it tells about all the local trails and, um, you know, ADA trails and equestrian trails and everything. So that's a cool resource shows all of our lands too. Um, and then social media, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. You can find us there. You just look up Barry Land Trust. Awesome. Well, everybody, definitely uh, make sure you check them out. Uh, if you're around the area, get involved, check out their events, that kind of stuff. Obviously, a, a lot, a lot that they they do, um, but it's all all good stuff. So, but as as you uh, all continue on for the rest of the year, I uh, wish you the best of luck. Yeah. Thanks a lot. This was fun. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.